in case you're new this morning, you can tell by the bumper video that we are doing a series on David, a man after God's own heart. Well, I don't have to tell you this, but uh, I'll share it with you anyway. Adversity is part of life. You say, wow, that was really revelatory, Pastor Jack. Right? If I was to say to you, think back upon this past week, I would dare to say that you face some kind of adversity. Some type of trouble, some type of difficulty, some conflict that perhaps arose in your life. It's interesting that biologists recognize a principle at work among plants and animals that is called the adversity principle. There's actually a principle called the adversity principle. And as strange as it may seem, habitual well-being is not really advantageous to a species. Take, for example, the giraffe. We'll pick on the giraffe. When a baby giraffe is actually born, it drops about six feet right on its back. So it's welcome to the world is this drop of over six feet, depending on how tall the mother giraffe is, down to its back on the ground. But if that was not bad enough, the mother then would come and hover over that calf and then give it a kick. Actually, kick it, and the calf will roll. And the idea that if the mother kicks it off its back, then it would spring to its feet. But here's the kicker. Obviously, 
they figure he wrote during this time of his life was Psalm 27. I have to read the entire psalm for you, but I love the last verse of the psalm because it shows how far David had come. Right? Psalm 27, verse 14, it says, Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart, and wait for the Lord. Now, if you remember last week as we were working through this, David did not do that, did he? I mean, he took matters into his own hands. He kind of, you know, thought, okay, now here's the problem, I'm going to solve the problem. And, and so we have here a, a great change in David. Because last week, as we noted, three times David left God out of the picture and tried to handle things on his own. And as we noted, his scheming caught up with him. Because we also saw that in his scheming, he lied three times. But not only did he lie, but his scheming, his doing things on his own, not going to God first, cost the lives of many priests. But not only did it cost the lives of many priests, it cost the lives of an entire village. All because David did not go to God first, did not wait upon the Lord, and took matters into his own hands. Well, like David, like David, we all face problems in adversity. And in the midst of those problems we experience, fears and doubts can overwhelm us. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're in the midst of an adverse situation or problem. And maybe like David, you, you kind of feel, you know, overwhelmed. You're fearful. You're struggling with, God, what, what, what do I need to do? What can I learn from this? See, David was able to develop a divine perspective. And you and I need to learn to trust God in the midst of these desperate situations that we might find ourselves in and develop a divine perspective like David did. I want to share with you three helpful things that I think David incorporated in his life that helped him with this divine perspective. He didn't start out that way, remember? He kind of blew it. But he was able to, to do some things in his life that changed his whole perspective. First of all, and, and I think it just shouts at us, David learned from his past mistakes. Anybody who ever made a mistake? Andy. Good. I was hoping somebody had. See, David learned from his past mistakes. We might even say that David learned from his past sins. I think this was one of David's key secrets. Rather than allowing his failures to hold him captive, he turned to the Lord. Rather than immersing himself in self-pity, David used his mistakes, even his sin, as a springboard to turn back to God as he refocused his attitudes and his behavior to what it should be. So let me ask you a question. What about you? Made any mistakes? Committed any sins in your life? How have you responded to them? See, the enemy, the enemy would want us to stay in that defeated mode forever. Now, having said that, I'm not trying to give across the impression that, that we shouldn't feel sorrow for our sins. I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't confess our sins when we commit them. But, taking the example of David, we should not wallow in our sin. Because the enemy would want you to do that. And in Jesus Christ, we have forgiveness. 
We have the grace of God that is there. So we need to learn from our past mistakes and sin. We need to turn to God and repent and allow Him to even, if you might break the shackles of failure, that sometimes can just bound us. Learn from your past mistakes. Learn even from those sins as David did. Secondly, in developing the divine perspective, I think it's important for us to remember God's promises. To remember God's promises. Last week we briefly looked at Psalm 34. That most commentators feel that David actually wrote when he was at the cave of Adullam. Remember the story? He had fled from the Philistines. He had gone to the cave. And probably before his family actually visited him and ministered to him, he wrote this psalm. Psalm 34. In this psalm are some blessed words about God's deliverance. Like verse 4 of Psalm 34. I sought the Lord, and He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Verse 17. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. Or verse 22. The Lord redeems His servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in Him. Sometimes, folks, we forget about those promises of God. Those promises of deliverance. Those promises of God waiting with open arms to receive us unto Himself. And I want you to know that the Lord is ready to hear you. The Lord is ready to deliver you from your troubles. So go to Him. Believe in Him. Find your refuge in Him. And claim the promises that He gives in, your, in His Word. Now this means we have to get into the Word to discover the promises of the Word, does it not? And that kind of goes without saying. Well, third, seek God's will through prayer. How do we develop a divine perspective? Seek God's will through prayer. As the text indicated, David was pretty specific with his question to God. Should I go and attack these Philistines? And that's pretty specific. He didn't just say, God, there's a problem. What should we do? No, he gave God a specific question and plan. And God then answered that with a direct answer. Though God did not speak to us directly as often as he did perhaps in the Old Testament, he does answer prayer. He does answer prayer. Sometimes those answers come through his revealed word. Now, I've sat down with the word of God and I've read and I've been praying about something and I see the answer in the scriptures. Sometimes God answers us through circumstances. We're praying about something in a circumstance. Something will happen and we know that that's of God. Sometimes God answers our prayer directly through the Holy Spirit. Do you know when you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, God placed His Spirit within you? That Spirit is not a dormant Spirit. That Spirit doesn't keep secrets from you. That Spirit wants to reveal God's will to you, and He will speak to you and direct you and guide you. And sometimes, God will answer prayer through the wisdom of other believers. You know we have some wise people in this congregation? We do. We have some wise people in this congregation. But some of you are pretty wise. 
I'm not going to start naming people because as soon as I do, I'll get in trouble. You'll either try to refute that or you'll say, why didn't you mention me? But God has given us a mind and a heart and a soul. He has given us His Holy Spirit. He has given us even the wisdom of other believers. And so as we pray, don't dismiss that. The influence and counsel of others, and we'll talk more about that a little bit later. So as we see in verse 1 of our text, 1 Samuel 23, David faced a serious problem. Now, if you're like me, I kind of was reading this and I thought, is this really David's problem? Is this really David's problem? I mean, to me, it's kind of King Saul's problem. It's not really David's problem. But David was told of this problem, and he wanted to help. And even though he had no official capacity in Saul's kingdom, he still felt a responsibility for his people, for his nation. And so it's interesting to me that in spite of being mistreated, in spite of being pursued by Saul, David did not solve it. David did not say, hey, it's not my problem. Let's try to handle it. At last, you know, he ought to be here protecting these people. But no, we see that David had a heart for the people. He had a heart and a willingness to serve. The city of Keilah was away from Jerusalem, the capital city. It actually was located, and it is located, on the border of Israel and the Philistine nation at that time. It's interesting that Keilah, actually, the, the city itself sat up in a hill. And they did that because, obviously, if you were going to be attacked, it was better to have your city up on the hill. It's a lot better shooting arrows down than shooting arrows up. It's a lot, lot, lot better to see the fighting men coming, the enemy coming, than, you know, to be surprised. So the city itself sat up in the hills. But it's interesting that, and if you understand anything about Israeli geography, there's not a lot of rain in many places in Israel. But in the hill country, you'll have some of the green. You'll have the rain hitting first. And so what happened there in the valley of Kiara was the rains would come down, they would run them off the hills, they would bring up the hills, the dirt, the nutrients, the soil, and it would settle them in the valley. And the valleys of Kiara were known at that time for being a rich, fertile ground. And so what was happening to Israelis, they, they were planting the grain, they were planting the wheat, they were planting you know, the corn. And it was down in the fields, in the valleys. They were doing all the hard work, they were irrigating, they were pulling the weeds. And then harvest time came. You know, as you do with grain, you have to pluck it, you have to separate it. And so they got the grain all ready to be able to eat, and they, they had little buildings, and they stored the grain. And now they had food for their families, for their city, except for the Philistines. Now, the Philistines were a smart people, and they were the menace, you know, of the Israelis. They would wait until the people of Keilah had all the crops harvested, had stored them, and then they would come, and they would loot, and they would raid. Pretty smart, right? So they would come, and they would take all this whole harvested crop, and they would take it for themselves, and they would kill some of the Keilahites, even as they did this. And the word got back to David that this was happening. And this was a very serious situation, because for these people, this was their livelihood. And it had been taken away from them. 
So what was David's reaction to the problem? See the change in what had happened before with David, as we discovered last week? David had a plan, but he also had a prayer. And his response was to go and take care of the problem by attacking the Philistines. But first, and this is the key, he wanted to make sure that he was in the midst of God's will. He didn't want to get ahead of God like he had done before. And so he inquired of God. He prayed. He was basically putting into practice the exhortation found in Proverbs 3 6. In all ways, acknowledge the Lord and he will walk, he will direct thy paths. David believed in prayer. David believed that God would answer that prayer. David also believed that God would come and follow him and his men through prayer. And God did. As David and his men, as the scripture says, soundly defeated the Philistines. It is interesting to me that when David first asked God, and God gave him the answer, God simply said, go and attack the Philistines. Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. Then, after he revealed the plan to, to the army, his volunteer army, understand this, it's a volunteer army of makeshift people that basically many of them have been rejected and couldn't even serve in Saul's army. There were people that had been in trouble. There were people that had been, you know, almost criminals and had, you know, kind of been in hiding. So these are not necessarily trained fighting men. They were going against the Philistines, trained warriors who were known as battle-ready men. So there's no hesitancy on their part. Now David said, okay, I'm going to God, here's the problem we're going. And they go, well, okay, wait a minute. You know, we're already afraid of not being in Israel because we don't know when Saul's going to come upon us. And now you want us to go to these Philistines and their country, their land, they know the terrain, and you want us to fight them? And they're a little hesitant. And so David does a, does a good thing. David goes to God again. And God assures him that he is going to give the Philistines into David's hand. It's an emphatic I in the original language. I will do this for you. God is making it clear. David, you're not going on your own. David, you're not just going with these 300 plus men, this ragtag army. You're going in the power of the Almighty. And the promise of divine help was all that David and his men needed. And they whipped the Philistines. David had learned about the importance of prayer. David had finally come to that understanding that he needed to go to God first. He also understood that God would do amazing things through prayer. Shortly after the repeal excuse me, of Prohibition, there was a, a small town in America that had been dry for all these years. Dry means you don't know alcohol. And uh, a gentleman decided that he was going to build a tavern in that town. Because prohibition had been lifted, now you know you could have a tavern, you could have alcohol, and so he built this this tavern. Well, some of the Christians of a, of a local church got rather upset over that, and so they actually held a prayer meeting, a 24-hour prayer meeting, and I had vigil, asking God to somehow intervene, a good tavern. 
next night, a storm came and lightning hit the tavern. It caught on fire in the middle of the night and it burned down. Right? But that's not the end of the story. The owner, he heard about these Christians coming together and praying against this tavern. And so he brought a lawsuit against the church, holding them responsible for the loss of his battle. Well, the Christians, the church, they got a little And they denied responsibility. So it came before a judge. And in response to this unusual scenario, the judge uttered some profound words. And this is what he said. No matter how this case comes out, one thing is clear. The tabernacle believes in prayer, and the Christians do not. I thought that was kind of a silly commentary. True story. See, David had come to that point to know that if he prayed, God was going to act. God was going to respond. Can I ask you a question this morning? As a Christian, how do you handle the problems that come into your life? How do you handle them? Sometimes, if you're like me, the initial reaction is, why me? Anybody ever done that? Why me? I'm the only one. Sometimes, you know, when the problems come, we, we try to say, because, you know, I'm a man, and my thing is to, you know, think rationally. Well, I didn't mean that women don't think rationally. I just meant, you know, for me, it's, it's like, how can I solve this? You know, kind of a guy thing. I, you know, a problem, i got to solve it, how do I do it? And then, then I'm sometimes prone to worry a little. None of you have that problem, right? See, hopefully like David. And it was a learned response. He went to the Lord. He didn't begin that way, as we noted last week. He had some struggles with it, but he went to the Lord. I want to close by giving you some directions for problem-solving prayer. Some directions for problem-solving prayer. This won't take long. I know as soon as I say the word close, you've already tuned out. I shouldn't have said that. But give me about five minutes, all right? Give me about five minutes. Number one, if you have problem-solving prayer, number one, go to God first. Go to God first. In 1 Samuel 23, we see that David went to the Lord first. And boy, what a change in what had occurred those weeks, months, perhaps earlier, when David was frightened of what Saul would do against him. So instead of relying upon himself, instead of doing some things that he would regret the rest of his life, David had finally come to that point to go to God first. And again, the question begs to be asked, what is our first reaction when we are faced with adversity? Do we go to God first? Secondly, pray specifically. Pray specifically. We kind of noted this in in verse 1 of our text. David did this. As well as later, we didn't take time to read it. But he did it a little bit later in that passage in verses 9 through 12. It helped him clarify the situation. It helped him sort out the steps that maybe needed to be taken. See, sometimes we are way too general in our prayers. Help me, God. Help me, God. Help me, God. You know, it's like, whoa. What do you want God to help you with? Name it. Share it with him. Be specific. Be honest with him. Go to Psalms again. Uh, Psalm 10. Go to Psalm 10. Because I think sometimes 
we forget how honest we can be with God in prayer. Look at Psalm 10, verse 1, and then we're going to go to chapter 13, or Psalm 13. Here's David. He's saying to God, Lord, Lord, do you stand for now? He wasn't feeling God's spoken. And he's being pretty honest there. Lord, do you hide yourself in times of trouble? I'm in trouble. It feels like you're hiding yourself. Ever felt like that with God? Yeah, we have. But you know, it's simple. We can't say that to God. Can we? And I say, well, why not? You're already thinking it. It's all in your head. God knows it. Look at chapter 13, verse 2. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? Day after day has sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? I mean, here's David being very specific, but also being very honest with God. So we need to be honest with God. Share with Him our true feelings. We need to be clear with God what we are asking Him to do. And then we might be amazed when He does it. Number three, pray using the Scriptures. Pray using the Scriptures. And David's day, God often spoke directly to people. But today, as we've already indicated, we have God's Word. We have the Holy Spirit that will lead us to principles as we incorporate the Scriptures. If we have difficulty following God's written word, I'll share something with you. You're going to have difficulty following the God, the Holy Spirit, as He speaks to you. If you can't follow what God has given you in the Bible, you're not going to listen to the Holy Spirit and follow Him as well. Have you ever used Scripture as you pray? Have you ever prayed that Scripture to God? God delights in that. He wants that. And I'll tell you this. When you pray Scripture back to God, you know you're in God's will. Because sometimes we pray out of the will of God. But if we're praying Scripture back to Him, we are praying then His will for us. I like what Psalm 32 8 says, because there's a promise from God for us. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you. God wants to do that for us. Number four, enlist the prayers and counsel of other Christians. Enlist the prayer and counsel of other Christians. We can already touched upon this. David had his counselors. Hezekiah had Isaiah for godly counsel. Going to other Christians and soliciting their counsel and prayer is not a sign of weakness. I think rather it's a sign of strength. It's using a valuable resource that God has given us. Do you have a prayer partner? Do you have somebody that when you're going through some difficulties that you can kind of confide in and know that they're going to not only listen to you, but they're going to pray for you and they're going to advise you? And maybe the place to start that would be in a small group. That is one of the benefits of small groups. And it takes some time to trust people and and to do the whole confidentiality thing. But maybe starting with your small group and enlisting the prayers of those fellow believers who care about you, asking for their counsel and their wisdom can be of great help. And then finally, problem-solving prayer means that when you receive the answer, you move ahead. When you receive the answer, you move ahead. When you pray, expect an answer and then act on it with confidence. Too often, I think God answers our prayer and we just kind of like, give me another sign. Okay, give me a third sign. Hit me over the head with a sledgehammer. 
I mean, you know, it's like, what does it take? I like David's words in, in Psalm 5.3. In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. David, it's almost like he's on the edge of the sea. He's like, I'm praying to you, Lord. I'm asking you. I'm giving you this petition. And now I'm waiting in anticipation for the answer. So when you receive it, move ahead. In the midst of adversity, David learned the importance of prayer. But his prayer life, if you read through the Psalms and look at different instances, it really was a lifelong development. It was something that it seems like he didn't take for granted, that he continually worked at. What's your prayer life like? I know sometimes we get discouraged because, <coughs> excuse me, we, we pray and we feel like God hasn't answered our prayer. And so we stop praying. Or we pray and, and God hasn't answered it the way we want it to be answered. And so we, we kind of stop praying. Or life is just so busy, we don't have time to pray. So think about this past week, just this past week. How regular and consistent was your prayer life? Don't answer that out loud. I want you to share it with me afterwards. Answer that between you and the Lord. How regular and consistent was your prayer life last week? Because probably what you did last week is going to be kind of a marker for what you do on a regular basis. So how much time did you spend sharing your perplexities and your decision-making and your daily needs with the Lord. See, sometimes we fall into the same trap that David did previously, where our first response is to worry rather than to pray. Father, we, we thank you for this reminder this morning of the importance of prayer and how prayer needs to be the first thing we do, not the last thing, not the thing when we're in deep in trouble and we've already tried to handle it our way and now we ask you to rescue us. But Father, prayer needs to be a lifelong adventure with you. So we thank you for some of the things that we learned from David. Things that we can incorporate in our own prayer life. Help us to be a praying people and a praying church. So that we might be able to see the power of God unleashed in our own personal life as well as in this community. And we'll give you the thanks for that in Christ's name. Amen. We'll ask you to stand. And uh, join the team as they lead us in our closing song.